In a moment, I'm going to play you a clip of Rav Victor Miller's Atzal back in 1973 discussing the Watergate scandal. And this clip, I believe, will send shivers down your spine. What Rav Miller said 50 years ago is as true now as ever. That's coming up. Uh, in our last episode, we discussed a very, very important topic. We play, played clips of Rav Ephraim Waxman Schlitter discussing what I'm calling the Parnassa crisis. There's an immense financial burden that's being faced by from families, and the episode has actually created a major buzz. Not all of you heard it, but many of you heard it. And look, we have to stay focused on this topic because I believe many, many families cannot afford basic expenses, mortgage, tuition payments, groceries, car payments. And I'm not talking about Kylo people. I'm talking about families, you know, working families where both husband and wife are working, sometimes earning $150,000 a year plus, and still they cannot afford basic monthly expenses. I'm not saying that applies to everybody. It's very hard to know the numbers. But, you know, then you factor in the cost of simchas, which has gotten out of control. And then the question is, so what's the solution? Yes, there definitely is a crisis. What do we do about it? So we will jump into that, I hope, coming up. The debt ceiling debate is coming down to the wire. Breaking news here. The country is not going to default. Okay, stop the presses. I'm give tell you heard it here first. Here's a little secret. We're not gonna default. Okay, the media does this every time. How many times have we seen this? The debt ceiling debate, debt ceiling crisis, and oh, are we gonna default those evil Republicans? How can they do that? How can they hurt? How can they bankrupt the country? We're not going to default. The media is trying to do use its classic scare tactics, fear-mongering, these bogus, scintillating headlines, but it's not going to happen. The real question is, how does, what is the outcome? How is this all going to end? And there are two options here. Not default, but is Kevin McCarthy going to cave in to Democrats? Is he going to force them to concede to major massive spending cuts? Or is Kevin McCarthy going to cut a deal with, you know, have like the moderate Republicans like we've seen in the past uh, make a deal with the Demo- with the moderate Democrats and everybody has this big party except the conservatives are left out in the cold? I doubt it's going to happen, but that's the question. Is McCarthy going to cave or is McCarthy going to stick to his guns and force Biden to cut spending in a big way? So we'll get into that coming up. Hillary Clinton says that President Biden's age is a concern. Well, where did she come up? Nothing gets past Hillary Clinton. Another Democrat has thrown Biden under the bus. I mean, how can you not think like, why is this even news that like they're they're reporting this like it's like a bombshell? And it is interesting. It does tell you a lot that Hillary would say that Biden's age is a concern. It tells you that, you know, about where Hillary is in terms of her feelings about Biden running for reelection. But like, oh, Hillary says, you know, Biden's age is a concern. And oh, by the way, the sky is blue and the sun rises in the east. Like, you know, by the way, of course, Biden's age is a concern. But it's like number 12 on my list of all the concerns I have about Joe Biden. The age factor is like number 17. And that's the problem is they're making that the big focus. It's not. Welcome to the Yaakov M. Show on the VIN News Podcast. We're also on Yeshiva International, Nucky Radio, Spotify, and many other platforms. Send me an email, josh at vinnews.com, josh at vinnews.com. We do try to get to all the emails. We try to respond when possible. So I really appreciate your feedback about anything, anything on your mind. 
CNN has apologized to the D Mishpacha, and specifically they've apologized to Rabbi Leo D. And we have we have not discussed this, I don't think, but it's time we really have to discuss this very very important matter, and that is that Mrs. Lucy D. Two of her daughters were tragically murdered by Arab terrorists. This, of course, happened several weeks ago. You very likely have heard this horrific story, this unspeakable tragedy. A terrorist attack took place on Pesach. I believe it was, I believe it was Arab Shabbos of Cholomite Pesach, if I'm not mistaken. And they were actually traveling. They were traveling to spend Shabbos somewhere for Shabbos Cholomite Pesach. But I, I hope I'm not getting that wrong, those details. But either way. Lucy D., two of her daughters, tragically murdered, gunned down, shot while they were driving in their car by, of course, Arab terrorists, Hashem Yimkaim Demehen. And now CNN has apologized, Christian Amanpour, who made very disgraceful comments in describing the horrific, tragic, unspeakable murder, terror attack that took place that took the lives of these three Kedoshim, Mrs. Lucy D. and two of her daughters. So first let me say, this is a heartbreaking tragedy. You know, there are no words to describe it. It's unspeakable. A Frum family uh, loses a mother, loses two daughters. It took place, the attack in the Jordan Valley. So Christian Amanpour, who is a leftist, who is not a friend of the Jews, some are calling her an anti-Semite. I don't know if she is an anti-Semite or she's not, but she certainly made very vicious, disgraceful comments in this case, and it's not the first time. So she has a track record of making vicious comments, anti-Israel, anti-Jewish. Let me be very clear. Okay, so she referred to this terrorist attack as a shootout. She called it a shootout. We're going to play with the clip in a moment. It was disgraceful, beyond disgraceful. And the reason she has apologized very clearly is because CNN is afraid of a lawsuit. And it's been compared to the Dominion voting lawsuit against Fox News. But Rabbi D has threatened to file a lawsuit against CNN. Many people believe he should. I certainly think it would be a good idea. I'm not saying he should because we cannot imagine the suffering that the family is going through. But if that would help alleviate in some way, mitigate in some way, if it would help give the family some sort of support and, you know, some some sort of nechama, then certainly it makes sense from my end. But, you know, who can, you know, obviously there's no way for an outsider to even begin to describe or the situation they're in. But CNN, this was a pretty lame apology. So first I'm going to play you the initial clip of Christiane Amanpour, and then I'm going to play you her apology. Uh, let me just pull it up over here. First, the clip of her calling this a shootout. Listen to this. I refer to the murders of a British-Israeli family, Lucy... No, that's the apology. We'll get to that in a moment. Let me uh, pull up the clip that she's apologizing for. Listen to this. We also have the mother of two sisters, Israeli-British sisters. They were, ki- they were killed in a shootout, and now the mother has died of her injury. So she called killed in a shootout. Killed in a shootout. Very clear what the and this took place. I think in April she made those comments, and very clear the implication. The implication is that somehow it was two sided. That somehow it was not this terror attack against innocent victims who were just driving innocently in their car, which is exactly what it was. Now here is the apology, uh, the on air apology, which followed a few days after she sent an email to Rabbi Leo D apologizing in an email. But that was private, obviously. But then here is the on-air apology on CNN that took place uh, this week on, I think, May 22nd. So listen to this. 
On April 10th, I referred to the murders of a British-Israeli family, Lucy D. and Maya and Rena D., the wife and daughters of Rabbi Leo D. During that live interview, I misspoke and said that they were killed in a shootout instead of a shooting. I have written to Rabbi D. to apologize and make sure that he knows that we apologize for any further pain that may have caused. Okay, so an incredibly pitiful and weak apology on so many levels. Number one, she never actually cleared the record. She never actually called it a terrorist attack, even referenced that in any way. She also she, she said she misspoke. She did not misspeak. I'm going to play you a clip in a moment of Alan Dershowitz saying that th- this is a theme that we've seen again and again. Obviously, we've seen this theme from CNN. I mean, from woke leftist fake news CNN repeatedly throughout these year, the years. But uh, even Christiana Manpour has a history of making comments like this and of being very viciously anti-Israel. So, you know, and, and she doesn't even say, well, it was actually a terrorist attack. And these innocent people were murdered in cold blood by these radical terrorists and these anti-Israel terrorists. She doesn't say any of that. She says, I misspoke. She says she called it a shoot out instead of a shooting. It's not a shooting, okay? A shooting is when somebody gets mugged on the subway. This was not a shooting. So it's just disgraceful. And the proof, and I'm going to play you Dershowitz's comments in a moment. Dershowitz has agreed to actually file the lawsuit and represent the Dimash Bacha. But what's incredible is that you know that this came out of fear of a lawsuit. And here's why. Because Rabbi D actually mentioned right the day before this, and I, I guess the apology happened maybe on Tuesday. I don't remember, but it was this week. But but either way, one day, Rabbi D was involved in some kind of video Zoom session and he was asked about this, and he said he got a private apology. Christian Amanpour actually emailed him a private apology, and he wrote back, and he said, listen, I want a private apology is not enough. He said, I need a public apology because you made the comments publicly. Hundreds of thousands of people, I wouldn't say millions with CNN, but hundreds of thousands of people were watching this thing, and then you're going to send a private email apology. That doesn't cut it, okay? That's not good enough. You have to apologize on air the way you made the initial comments, the disgraceful comments on air. And literally, he he said he he issued that threat one day later. She actually issued this on air apology. So clearly, clearly, she's afraid of a lawsuit. And a lot of people are saying, well, he should still sue. And and Dershowitz actually himself um, said that uh, he's willing to represent the D Mishpacha and he's willing to file that lawsuit. Let me find you the clip of Dershowitz. I am taking on this case pro bono because this is part of a pattern that CNN and Amanpour have engaged in over a decade or more than a decade. Uh, Amanpour constantly creates a moral equivalence between terrorists who murder people in cold blood and innocent victims like the three innocent victims in this case. This was not a slip of the tongue. This was not an honest mistake. Uh, an organization called Camera, which documents these kinds of things, has documented a long pattern by CNN and by Amanpour of constantly siding against Israel and trying to create a moral equivalence between innocent victims of terrorism and actual terrorism. They're not mistakes. They're part of a deliberate pattern of trying to create a moral equivalence of events in which there is no moral equivalence. There's no moral equivalence between people who shoot families in cold blood and the people who were suffering as the result of simply being victims of terrorism. So let's wait to hear what Amanpour says, not in a scripted apology, but under my cross-examination and the cross-examination of other lawyers. 
Wow, scathing words by Dershowitz. You clearly hear he's very passionate about it. I don't agree with Dershowitz about everything, about all of his politics. But when it comes to Israel, you know, he's spot on. A lot of things he feels about Trump and the way Trump is mistreated by the media is spot on. So Dershowitz, 100 percent right here. This is a pattern. This is deliberate. This is not a misspeak. This is not a mistake. This is a deliberate pattern. And we've seen the equivalency again and again. And oh, yeah, I would love to see Dershowitz cross-examine uh, Christian Amanpour. By the way, Ben Brofman also, you know, who's a very renowned attorney, very renowned from attorney. He has also offered to represent the Dimashbacha in a lawsuit. So that would be a pretty amazing team there. I don't know if it would work that way, but Dershowitz and Ben Brofman teaming up together. We will keep an eye on that. By the way, CNN has announced a town hall, another town hall with a Republican presidential candidate. Uh, that's going to be Nikki Haley. We'll get into a little bit more of that coming up later in the show. Governor Ron DeSantis has made it official. Uh, he is running for president just as we expected. And that announcement, of course, happened today, Wednesday. So it's Trump versus DeSantis. It is official. And we could not have asked for a more exciting race, exciting primary. So we are going to keep an eye on that. I just, again, have to just mention, in case I didn't make it clear enough, you know, our hearts go out to the Dimashbacha, Hashem, Yimkaim, Demehem. It is it's just so tragic. I have no words. And uh, I really, really wish there was something I could say or do to help them in any way that I can. But, you know, certainly we wish that they have as much of an achama as humanly possible under these, you know, horrific, horrific, tragic, unspeakable circumstances. All right, Rev. Victor Miller, I'm going to play the clip in a moment. It's a little bit of a long clip, so I just want you to be ready. You can always fast-forward it on whatever device you're listening on. A listener actually brought this clip to my attention, Rev. Victor Miller discussing what again. He discusses a lot of political topics, obviously, but and and obviously Rev. Victor Miller does not need my haskama, but he had such an incredible clarity. So he was discussing the Watergate scandal or the lack thereof, and when you listen to this clip, I want you to think about this. You could cut out the words Watergate and the words Nixon and replace them with the words Russia hoax and Trump in place of Watergate and Nixon, and the recording would still make perfect sense because we're seeing the exact same political tactics, the exact same Democrat shenanigans play out just like they did literally 50 years ago and the weaponization of the Department of Justice to attack those who don't agree with their narrative, those who are a threat to the to, to, to the to the values that we care about. OK, so listen to this fascinating clip of Rev. Of Victor Miller's that's all. Yeah, now Nixon, Nixon's faith is our faith. Yes and no. Nixon is being attacked for doing things to our benefit. Don't think Nixon is being attacked for Watergate. It's a very big mistake. Nixon is being attacked because he put in conservative judges. Because he's trying to battle against permissiveness. Because he's trying to battle against spending too much for superfluous things. These are the things that made him hate it. Only... As a big barrage of propaganda that are utilizing small things and they're covering up their real motives. People don't realize that. They're the victims of the media. Unbelievable. The truth is, they're angry about other things. Because Johnson, Johnson was really a grafter. But Johnson swam with a tide. Johnson didn't do a thing against the liberals. On the contrary, he was their plaything. Therefore, when it came up to investigate the Bobby Baker scandal, 
though, as it's alleged, I wasn't present, but it's alleged, it's printed, that Sam Irvin, who's the head of this committee investigating the Watergate, Sam Irvin, seven times, he either voted against an investigation of Bobby Baker, or he didn't vote for it. It's a statement made on good authority, I can quote. So why was it Bobby Baker was a real scandal then, involving real crime? Why isn't another person, I want to say his name, investigated? Because a girl was drowned in a car with him? Talking about Teddy Kennedy. That's a little bit worse. And what did poor Nixon, even Nixon was guilty, what did they do to the poor fellow? There was a Jewish trader named Daniel Ellsberg who was giving out secrets, military secrets. When the boys were fighting and dying in Vietnam, and he was giving out secrets, he's a traitor. You expect the government to sit back and allow that leak? And so let's say they burglarized his office. It was a break-in. So what's so terrible? If they hadn't burglarized his office, they would have been remiss in their duty. Huh. A, a government has to protect itself. Is there any government that wouldn't do that? You have to ask a judge, we have permission to break in a tra alleged traitor's office to see if his secrets are leaking through him. And in the meantime, boys are dying at the front. Couldn't be helped. And if the president did want to cover it up, it's a very small crime. It wasn't because of that he's being accused. He's being accused of the things we need. We need to save the country for ourselves. We need a Supreme Court that won't countenance homicide. The Supreme Court, with one fell swipe of the pen, set loose 700 condemned murderers at one time. Unbelievable. And it goes on, but I'm going to stop it there. I mean, it is chilling. It sends shivers down your spine. He, he, the Supreme Court, Nixon point, appointed judges that they didn't like. Nixon has conservative values. He has our values. And, and look what he look what Miller said again. He does not need my Huskama in any way, shape or form. OK, he's literally condoning Watergate. He's saying they needed to commit this burglary because there were military secrets that were being leaked. There were soldiers, U.S. service people being put in harm's way. And you need to go in, you need to find the leaker. And that was why they burglarized the Watergate offices. And then what did he do? Nixon covered it up. So Rav Miller says, that's a small crime. LBJ committed massive crimes, alluding to Teddy Kennedy there. I, it just, you think about all this stuff and it like comes flooding into your brain. Like they're doing the exact same thing now that they were doing 50 years ago. And they, they, they get away with it. They always get away with it. So Nixon was forced to resign. Teddy Kennedy, Teddy Kennedy, who was like a senator from Massachusetts for for decades, okay, for like almost 50 years. And he was involved. That There was reference there to Chappaquiddick. There was a woman who drowned in Teddy Kennedy's car, and Kennedy literally didn't try to save her, didn't report it until the next morning. And then he literally, there was no uh, investigation. There was no, it happened on Martha's Vineyard, in, in, or, you know, Chappaquiddick in that, body of water, there was no investigation, period. Okay, there was no, the woman died in a car being driven by Teddy Kennedy. He doesn't bother to report it to the police. 
for like 12 hours and they don't even bother to investigate because Teddy Kennedy is a Democrat. But Nixon, of course, because he put in judges they didn't like because he stood for conservative values because he wanted to cut reckless spending. He got charged in the Watergate scandal and was forced out of office and was forced to resign. Unbelievable. And here's what the caller said, because, you know, because I was talking about DeSantis and how DeSantis is now being targeted. Elon Musk is being targeted, by the way. They tell us it's only Trump because Trump has mean tweets. DeSantis doesn't have mean tweets. They're demonizing him. They're, they're calling Musk an anti-Semite. They're calling Musk. They're comparing him to the KKK right now. Literally, no exaggeration. Uh, Vanity Fair magazine compared Musk to the KKK. And yet they don't have mean tweets. Elon Musk doesn't put out mean tweets. OK, so it's not about the mean tweets. That was my point. So a caller left me a voicemail saying that he literally heard of Victor Miller making these comments decades ago about Nixon and Watergate. And the real reason they were targeting him was they used Watergate literally as a pretext, which is exactly what he said, because it's a minor crime, the covering up the burglary, which is ultimately what they were going to charge him with if he hadn't resigned. And this person said to me, or Victor said, that's not the real reason. The real reason is because he stood for conservative values. Those are of Miller's exact words. I went and dug up this clip and the caller said, he said, you know what? Now I see, I believe the listener, I don't know if he was alluding to the fact that maybe he was skeptical, but it was like you hear this and come on, really? Nixon, Watergate scandal, like everybody considers that like the biggest political scandal in U.S. history. And here of Miller's basically minimizing it. And he says, now we see, now we see the godless, now we see the Clarkite, the clarity. Now we see the brilliance and almost the sheer Ruach HaKodesh of Rav Victor Miller coming true all these years later. So I thought that was pretty fascinating. All right, our last episode generated a very large buzz, a huge buzz in the Frum community because we discussed the Parnassa crisis, played clips of Rav Ephraim Waxman Shlita saying essentially people need to stop making fancy varts. He said, just stop, just don't do it. Just don't make a fancy vart. Fancy upsharings, other fancy, now Vachnach now people will spend tons of money on. And he said, throw down some pieces of cake and you're done. Okay, so I've gotten a lot of positive feedback. People have said to me, this is very important. We need to have raise the discussion about this. Okay, we need to keep this buzz going because we have to somehow solve this issue. We, people are struggling mightily, and there's this lifestyle, this culture, you know, this very exorbitant, lavish um, culture of spending, out-of-control spending. Some families can afford it, okay? Other families cannot afford it, but they feel like, what are they supposed to do? They need to keep up. There's too much social pressure. Maybe there's pressure on their children, on their families, on their wives, you know, maybe mechutanim. There are all sorts of reasons, okay? And and it wasn't negative. This is not a negative. We're not judging anybody or criticizing anybody. It, the question is, how can we protect those who cannot afford it and say, it's okay. You don't have to pay for this. You don't have to live this lavish, extravagant lifestyle and, uh, and, and, and you're not going to feel the pressure. How can we alleviate the pressure? That's really the question. And look, think about it, okay? A family with four, five, six kids, seven, eight kids, you know, uh, think about just Tuition money, okay, tuition expenses. You're talking tuition could be anywhere from four depending on what community you live in, from three, four thousand dollars a year to eight, ten thousand dollars a year, high school tuition, fifteen thousand dollars a year, then you get to seminary, mortgages, groceries, cleaning help, health insurance sometimes can be very expensive, car expenses, clothing, diapers, babysitting, camps. Uh, they're just it's just out of control. I mean, a family could make two hundred two hundred thousand dollars a year, which sounds like a lot of money, okay? And they could be paying forty to fifty thousand dollars in taxes, which leaves you when you do all the math, 
very, very little after tuition and groceries. I mean, you you barely have a penny left. Okay, so now the question is, what is the solution? I'll be honest, I don't know the solution. I had this thought of starting a fund. Maybe somebody starts a fund for you know, people who don't make a VART. If, if somebody doesn't make a VART or... I, I guess that'll be too extreme. So if somebody makes a very simple VART and will have to have some sort of parameters where they only have immediate family or, you know, they spend below a certain amount of money or they only serve cake or whatever, offer them money, offer them $500 to like not make an expensive VART. Okay. I don't think that'll solve the problem, but that kind of thing can maybe bring us in the right direction. Okay. The underlying issue is not the VART. It's it's the cultural, societal mindset. We need to change the mindset, okay? And it started to change during COVID, as we will all recall, because people had a chasana in their backyard and 10 people were invited and that was it, okay? And it was like, wow, you know, you can actually have a simcha this way and it's okay. I'm sure the couples who got married in a backyard with 10 or 15 or 20 people there, um, I'm sure that they're happily married right now or I'm sure that that the 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 circumstances, the extreme circumstances under which they had their chasana, while I'm sure it wasn't pleasant for them at the time, they were married, they got married, they get to be together, they have their health hopefully, so it it wasn't the end of the world, okay? And I think that actually still made it, I think that chasanas are still somewhat less fancy. You go to chasanas now, and instead of everybody having a reserved seat, a lot of times you'll have like chasanas family, Kala's family, chasanas friends, Kala's friends, etc., so I think that that did kind of bring things down a notch, but things are still so expensive. I mean, look, you take your family out to pizza, right? A family of six, a family of eight, which is Baruch Hashem, you know, B'liyan Hara, not uh, considered, it's an average-sized family, fam, family of eight, with, you know, basically six kids, right? Going out to pizza can be exorbitant. Going out to pizza for dinner could cost $70, dollars $100 easily before you even blink, and possibly a lot more. That's pizza. Okay, then you want to get some side dishes or, or, or go out for flesh, go out for schnitzel sandwiches. I mean, what, $100, $150, dollars $175 just for a basic meal, you know, not with all the trimmings? Like, it's like, you, it's it's not, it's, 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 it's out of control. It is out of control. So I want to start the conversation. If anybody has any ideas, I'm all ears. I want to hear the suggestions. We'll try to stay focused on this. We'll try to keep this in the spotlight. And, you know, we need to make it that like, like not having a VART, you know, or having a VART for your 10 closest friends, having a VART with a few pieces of cake and some soda and some coffee. I like coffee. So I would love there to be coffee at the VART. By the way, I go to a lot of VARTs and they'll have everything under the every and, and the sushi and any cake you can imagine and the kugel and all sorts of other things. And I can't find a cup of coffee. Like, can, can you give me a cup of coffee? I'm desperate. All I want is a cup of coffee. I will trade in like, well, I won't trade the, 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 the cholent because cholent's pretty good. <laughs> but I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm obviously suggesting here that VARTs have cake and nothing else. But I'm saying if you're going to make the fancy VART with the cholent, can you give me a cup of coffee? And and, and I know you're going to have non-dairy cream or whatever. People say to me, how do you have coffee? Uh, what about the flayshigs? And I try to explain to them, coffee's parv. Coffee's parv. If you have a good cup of coffee, you do not need milk. You could do the creamer. You could do the almond milk, but you know, the non-dairy. But, like, I could literally have a cup of black coffee as long as the coffee itself is a decent type of coffee. All right, but we are way, way, way uh, beyond the scope of this discussion. But not buying sushi for your vart should not be a tragedy, and we've got to change the collective mindset of Kal Yisrael. Hillary Clinton discussed the concerns about President Biden's age. I'm actually going to play you that clip as well. Uh, here is H Hillary. Just to set this up, she was at some sort of um, 
convention, some some sort of financial conference, and the like moderator of the conference asked her about Biden taking a recent fall. So listen to this clip. That heart-stopping moment where he almost fell over coming downstairs a day or two ago, is that a concern? Well, I mean, it's a concern for anyone. Um, and we've had presidents who've fallen before who were a lot younger, um, and people didn't go into, you know, heart palpitations. Um, but he, his age is an issue, and people have every right to consider it. Age is an issue. People have every right to consider it. And that was at the fin- a Financial Times conference in Washington, D.C. And, you know, she knew exactly what she was saying. Hillary is a very strategic person, and she knew this would make the headlines. Well, yes, it, people have every right to consider it. It's a legitimate issue. No kidding. You think that Biden's uh, age is a, con- is, is a legitimate issue that people have a right to consider. And then, of course, she went on to basically praise his record and say, but he's still better than the alternative. You know, like, yeah, he may not be the best, but he's better than the other option. Like, that's like going to be the Biden campaign messaging is at least he's not Trump. At least he's not Trump. That's literally what won him in 2020. That and, and finding millions of mail-in ballots that were submitted by people who were deceased or, or illegals or whatever. But, uh, you know, that, that was like the Biden campaign theme was he's not much, but at least he's not Trump. But it, it is pretty interesting that the media is kind of going a little berserk over Hillary bashing Biden's age. All right, so the latest on the debt ceiling crisis or the debt ceiling debate. The White House is refusing to budge. They do not want to make the concessions and cut billions of dollars in spending, in reckless out-of-control spending, in return, in exchange for uh, raising the debt ceiling. Biden has no leverage, okay? The White House, Biden has an extremely weak negotiating position at this point because if the country does default, which it's not going to default, but if the country does default, that would be devastating to the White House, to Biden. The president usually gets the blame. Yes, with the Democrat, the media is going to try to kind of run cover. They're going to try to protect Biden. But number one, they don't want to protect Biden because remember, the media has been turning on Biden just like Hillary. Hillary just threw Biden under the bus. This is what they're doing. OK, they don't want him to run again. So if there is a default, the media might actually make Biden take the fall. And Biden certainly can't take that risk. It'll hurt him. It, it may hurt the Republicans, but not so badly. It'll hurt the president. It always hurts the president. So he's got no leverage. But the question is, you know, will Kevin McCarthy get nervous? Because a lot of times Republicans, even when they could flip it on the president, we saw that with Obama again and again with John Boehner. Okay, they very often worry, oh, what about the media coverage? If we default, everyone's going to blame the Republicans. We're in charge of the House. So I don't know. Okay, and and it, it, it gets even more interesting. Okay, number one, um, June 1st. June 1st is the deadline. June 1st is when I guess Janet Yellen, Treasury Secretary, says that the country is scheduled to default on June 1st. So that's the deadline. They need to have a deal before then. However, it's going to take between 24 and 48 hours to write up the legislation once a deal is in place. In addition, uh, they need three days to read the bill. Remember, remember when they had that whole mess when Kevin McCarthy, they were electing him to be Speaker of the House and they had to do all those ballots again and again. And eventually conservatives forced Kevin McCarthy to make a bunch of concessions. One of those concessions was that they need at least 72 hours to read any legislation before voting on it. Remember how Pelosi, they just throw you this legislation. You have like four hours to read like 1,300 pages and then you vote. So the conservatives said, no, no, no way. We're we're getting time to read 
any legislation, we're getting 72 hours. So they're saying then they're going to need to have 72 hours before June 1st. I don't think that's true. I think if they have a bill on May 30th, Okay, and and it's like, well, what about the 72 hours? Yellen will magically push off the date to like June 2nd, June 3rd. So I think as long as they have uh, like a verbal agreement in place that everybody verbally agrees to, they're going to have a couple more days leeway. So I don't think they're going to need to have the legislation agreed on 72 hours before June 1st. That's just my hypothesis, my theory. We'll see. But it also needs to pass the Senate, right? So you're going to need 60 votes in the Senate. So you're going to need Democrats. In the House, they don't need Democrats for this thing unless the conservatives vote against it But um, because the conservatives might feel it's not strong enough in terms of the spending cuts. But in the Senate, they're going to need both Republicans and Democrats. So in the past, what did they used to do? We used to have the moderate Republicans join up with Democrats. In the past, you used to have the conservatives basically thrown under the bus with these deals. These deals would always, to to raise the debt ceiling, they would not include the conservatives. I don't think it's going to happen this time because, remember, part one of the concessions McCarthy made was that you only need one member of Congress to call for a snap vote to try to ouster McCarthy. If they want to push McCarthy out as speaker, you only need one member of Congress. So he needs to keep the entire caucus happy. He needs to keep the conservatives happy. But then the question is, if the conservatives are happy, if, the, if there are enough spending cuts happening that the conservatives are OK, then are they going to be able to find the, the 10 Democrats or 11 Democrats needed for this thing to pass the Senate? You know, so but I don't think McCarthy can afford to alienate people like Jim Jordan or Marjorie Taylor Greene or Lauren Boebert or Matt Gates. So, you know, they're going to really, really pressure the White House here to agree to massive spending cuts. That's the drama. We're going to have to wait and see. And what's amazing is, you know, what always happens is you always have some Democrat who says that this is such a distraction, the debt ceiling debate. We need to end this. They literally I saw an op-ed in The Hill and they say this all the time. They say. This debt ceiling debate, look at this. Look at what it's doing to Washington, a threat of default. This is a massive distraction. They need to just cut it, meaning they need to just end the debt ceiling. In other words, erase the debt ceiling, eliminate it. What they want is they want there to be endless borrowing. They want it to make, they want to make it that you do not need permission of Congress to raise the debt ceiling so the government can borrow as much money as it wants anytime without needing permission from Congress. That would be insane. It's like one of the only, it's like they want it. It shows you how twisted they are. They, they literally say this, these these mainstream Democrats, like they say, eliminate the debt ceiling. It's a big distraction. The debt ceiling is the only thing. It's one of the only things that keeps the country from falling off a cliff. One of the only things that forces the government to be a tiny bit fiscally responsible, fiscally disciplined. Not much because they're still out of control spending. They're spending trillions. The, 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 the budget deficit is almost $2 trillion. The debt is $31, $32 trillion and growing. The interest payments are off the charts. But like the debt ceiling is like one of those few things we're hanging by a thread here, like preventing the country from literally from going bankrupt. Pretty amazing. And uh, by the way, they are talking about one other option, like a nuclear option, which is the 14th Amendment. I don't think it's going to happen. But uh, Biden has supposedly he's considering and a bunch of Democrats are urging Biden to invoke the 14th Amendment. The 14th Amendment basically says that, you know, the government uh, has to pay off its debt, something along those lines, that the government has a responsibility to pay off its debts. So they're somehow saying if if the country defaults, I, I may have explained a different time, the country can actually manage without defaulting. The country can pay off debts if the debt ceiling, you know, hits, if the, if, if this June 1st deadline hits. What actually could happen is they could not pay Social Security, not pay Medicare. There are certain expenses that they cannot pay, but they could still pay off the debt. The debt is only one chunk, one portion of the entire federal budget. So they actually do not have to default. 
but they, you know, they, they, they like to claim that they have to default because they use that as leverage and they use it as a scare tactic. But anyway, so theoretically, then Biden could invoke the 14th Amendment, which would mean he could borrow more money without permission from Congress, because supposedly this would be a whole legal battle. And of course, they would sue and take him to court. But there are Democrats who are claiming that constitutionally, it's the it's the jurisdiction or the right of the president, the executive branch to decide, you know what, we have a right to borrow more money, even without permission from Congress, because we have to make sure to pay off the debt. And the only way we can pay off the debt is by borrowing money, which is nuts when you think about it. But that's the argument they're going to make. But I don't think that's going to happen. That would be very extreme for Biden to invoke the 14th Amendment. But you never know, because whoever's calling the shots, again, they don't care about Biden's legacy. They'll throw Biden under the bus. Whoever's making the decision, Biden doesn't even know. I, I doubt he even knows what's in the 14th Amendment at this point. So we will have to wait and see. Wow, so much more to get to, but we are just simply out of time. We'll have to wait till next time. That's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.